Thank you. <laughs> All of you watching from home. <laughs> so, so I've got a, a question as the heading of this sermon this morning. I think it was more to myself than necessarily to you. The question is, how deep do we go? Which has been something I've been pondering since returning from Cambodia. And... Uh, Normally, within charismatic circles, Pentecostal circles, when you ask that question, of course, the thought is, you know, things of the spirit, the supernatural, miracles, signs, wonders, that type of thing, you know. And uh, I've begun to question a lot of that as far as the depth of our spirituality being more invested in our own response to the word by being empowered by the spirit to be obedient to the word. Um, this little dialogue I had at a meeting last week, uh, opportunity creates, opportunity creates opportunity for obedience. How deep do you go? So how, how true does this statement feel to you? And I want you to really consider and answer this to yourself as honestly as you can. Jesus is the answer to all of my questions. Jesus is the answer to all of my questions. That feel true to you? That feel good to you? I understand that within the parameters of good Christianese dialogue, this is a politically, or should I say, religiously correct statement. It's absolutely true within the confines of certain circles. But do you really think that this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundant? Did Jesus, by introducing the kingdom of God to humanity, do no more than construct a religious box that, box that says, here and no further. I don't think so. I believe that Jesus has opened up a vast and abundant vista of possibilities that take us abundantly above and beyond anything that we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. And so I want to reframe for us the original statement. Try this on for size. Jesus is the answer that allows me to ask more questions and to explore more options. Right, I'll say that again. Jesus is the answer that allows me to ask more questions and to explore more options. You know, uh, Biblically, the statement would be, once you were slaves to sin. In other words, you had no options. Situation arose, the response was automatic. You did what sin drove you to do. When you came to Christ, all of a sudden you had other options to what you have always done. He opened up a whole new vista for your life. 
We see this dynamic all the time with Jesus in the Gospels, and sometimes Jesus would take it so far out of the box that he would have to ask the question for the individual. An example of that is found in John 8, beginning in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, that is to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Not that it had anything at all to do with this woman. Now, do, you ever, do you know how they stone a woman? Have you caught any of that as late? I mean, this is a, a little terrorist thing that they're doing now. They're posting videos of women being stoned in the Middle East. They bury them this deep in the ground so that from the breast up, but the hands are tied down, sticks out of the ground. So they got this woman. They're going to do this to her. What do you think, Jesus? They could care less about the woman. They did it to test him. They're going to bury this woman, woman breast deep and drop boulders on her head so they can test this guy. Just trying to put some context in this. This is not a cute little dialogue going on here. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. What do you think's going on in her head? Yes, that's exactly right. That's <laughs> what's going on in my head. Absolutely. Jesus stood up and said to her, he asked the question, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Don't you think she was wondering that question? Where are they going? Are they going to get rocks? Are they going to get a shovel? Where are they? She didn't know she had options standing in front of her in the person of Jesus. I don't know what he was writing on the ground. But it must have been something that was impacting these guys, that was waking them up to what was going on, to reality from God's point of view. 
How many of us in this room today could answer as she answered, no one, Lord, no one condemns me. Most of us live our lives with some form of recurring sense of condemnation, the result of trauma, abuse, wrong decisions made at some point in time in our past that continues to haunt our sense of worth, value, or self-esteem. And Jesus is asking the question this time, where are they? Where are they in you? If Jesus is, in fact, the answer, then he has the right to ask the question, where are they? And yes, there is an answer, an answer found in our ability and freedom to ask more questions and to explore more options. Let me give you an example. Voice of the Martyrs magazine, you, you find them scattered around here. Uh, over in the sitting section, they ran an article entitled, Should I Pray to Be Free? It was written by Richard Warmbrand. The letter was composed in a solitary confinement cell situated 30 feet underground. He begins the letter, My God, I know how to say our Father, but I do not know what to add. So he asked a question. Should I ask you for freedom? Should I ask you for freedom? If Jesus is no more than an answer to your question, then absolutely ask for freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Now what the scripture says? But if Jesus is your freedom then the obvious answer causes you to ask the next question, which Pastor Wormbrandt does. And his question becomes a revelation of a heart that has been transformed by the love of Christ. The question that Pastor Wormbrandt asks is, how do I become free enough to love my tormentors enough that they see you in me? The answer that Jesus gave to Pastor Wormbrandt was something we touched on last week. In Matthew 18, 21, Peter came up to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven Pastor Warmbrandt, who endured daily torture for 14 years. They beat the, the bottom of his feet with steel rods every day. After he was released, he was never able to wear a pair of shoes. His feet were so badly damaged. In a Romanian prison camp for his faith in Jesus Christ, went the distance with this thing. He lived the 70 times seven, Jesus is my answer so intently that after a while they had to send in teams of torturers to abuse his already broken body because if they only sent in one or two men at a time to torture him, Warmbrand or perhaps Jesus in Warmbrand 
would constantly and immediately forgive and genuinely love his tormentors until he broke through the hardness of their hearts and he would win them over to Christ. And the tormentors would then become prisoners who endured torture for the sake of Christ. Pastor Wormbrandt did not carry his abuse into his freedom as a burden after his release, but instead came out of that prison camp wrecked of body but enlivened in his spirit to be a witness of Jesus Christ and the power of the cross during times of great trial. He sent hope to thousands of Christians around the world who suffered as he he suffered and released to their families. The principle of 70 times 7 that he lived from brought life, love, and hope to countless saints. And at the end of his life, if Jesus asked the question, where are they, has no one condemned you? I am sure he would have answered, no one, Lord. They have all been forgiven. Several years ago, I took a team into Israel for a pilgrimage. And one of the things that was happening at the time was that the fig trees were beginning to bear fruit. So, of course, we began to talk about the gospel story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. I'll read that to you in Mark 11. So on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teachings. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered him, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So we were walking along this trail up in Caesarea Philippi, just at the base of Mount Hermon, and Dorothy, some of you remember Dorothy, 
asked this question. Do you think that the man who owned the fig tree was cursed also? So now I'm wondering, what exactly did Jesus do anyway? We assume he actually cursed the tree because of Peter's statement in verse 21 and the fact that the tree was withered. I look at Jesus' statement and I hear his disappointment that the tree is fruitless. I hear his frustration at not having his felt needs met, but I don't hear him saying, I curse you. And yet the tree is cursed. It withers, it dries up, it loses its ability to ever be fruitful, all because of nine spoken words. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Forcefully directed at its life. And when it's brought to Jesus' attention, he immediately begins to tell his disciples that they have this same ability. That their words have power also. That they can say to the mountain, move, and it moves. But he ends the dialogue with this 7 times 70 statement. When you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against any. Why? Because what we can do to the fig tree and the mountain, we can do to our sons and daughters, our wives and our husbands, and our friends and our acquaintances, because our words have power. I used to think how cool it would be to speak to a tree and watch it wither. In a little insight in the way I operate. <laughs> What's pastor do other than Sundays? <laughs> what I realize is that I have. And it's not cool. It's sad quick story. While in Jerusalem, we were going from the Zion Gate to the upper room, walking down this broad alley, and I was feeling a little bit of crunch on the time because we needed to reach another destination by a certain time in order to have lunch. Looking ahead toward the entrance to the upper room, it was all clear, but glancing back, I could see a couple of tour groups heading our way. They have these little flags they hold, you know, to a group leader. And I did not want to get stuck in the middle of them. So I called back to the team, come on, let's get ahead. And there was Jessica, way back in the alley, taking pictures of a building. As I watched, I saw the tour group leader with her little colored flag in hand file past Jessica with about 100 people in tow, and all of our forward momentum stopped. And we were now at the tail end of a large group trying to get into a small space on a hot day. So as Jessica caught up with us, I began to vent my frustration toward her. <laughs> uh, and as I did, I began to see her wither. My words had power. 
and I knew that if I didn't fix this quickly, all the fruitfulness of the trip would fall from the tree of her life. I thank God that I was able to stop myself and focus on her and redeem the moment. Putty Putman, aren't you glad that isn't your name? <laughs> Putty Putman, founder and main teacher of the School of Kingdom Ministry, was teaching on relationships this past week and how we tend to react to our surroundings based on our own perceptions of what is happening rather than finding out what is really happening and then ministering to that. You ever done that? play mind games with ourselves. He told a story of a man who gets onto a busy subway train with his two young kids. The man sits down while his kids begin to run wild on the train, really becoming more and more obstreperous. I'm not fully sure what that word means, but it sounds like it's not good. Meanwhile, the father seems completely oblivious to their behavior. The man sitting next to the dad, on the other hand, is getting increasingly upset with what he sees going on and finally decides to confront the dad. Don't you see or care about what your kids are doing? You need to do something to get them under control. The dad responds, I I'm sorry, yes, of course, we, we just came from the hospital and we are having a hard time right now. Their mom just died a half an hour ago. Think that man's perception of what was going on changed? Hmm. So here is the question that the Apostle Paul asked of the church in Corinth. This is out of the modern King James Version. Do you look at things according to their appearance? If anyone has persuaded himself that he is Christ, let him think this again. Do you consider things according to their appearance? If you're in Christ, you better think again. You better think again. Here's his advice he offers to those who come to the place of pondering their place in Christ and how that should reflect out, of, out to those around us in order to reflect back to our hearts as the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Ephesians 4.21 Assuming that you have heard all about him, that is Jesus, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, Put off your old self. You see, the old self is the one who has the question. Where are they? I know they're just waiting right around the corner. What, what was that? Did you see what she put on Facebook? What do you mean by that? Well, is that old self rising right up, right? which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, if you want to make this change, 
from the old to the new. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Isn't that good advice? Just plain good advice. You see what he's saying? If you want to change the internal, you have to do some of your own work with your external. The onus is on us. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Should I repeat that one? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. What's that sound like? What have you said lately that has stung somebody, wounded somebody, manipulated, hurt, or controlled somebody because of your own perceptions, wants, or desires? That's corrupting talk. When your words corrupt another person's life, dictate their ability to be free, to feel joy, to know peace. That's corrupting talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. <laughs> as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't you wish you could freely dialogue that way? Did you ever go to bed at the end of the day with this regret? Man, I wish I never said that. <laughs> right? I mean, come on, come on, be honest. Of course you have. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How deep do you want to go? How deep do you want to go? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If you want to be spiritual, you have to be right in the natural. See, God responds supernaturally to the obedience we have to the word that he gives us to bring our natural man under submission to his spirit. Your signs and wonders, talking in tongues, healing, won't matter anything if you're going home and abusing your wife, your children. If when you close the front door of your house, it sounds like chaos and arguing constantly.
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. So how do you do that? Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, and here's the 70 times 7, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another just like Jesus forgave you. Our friend Justin Barney, who's the pastor of the Praxis Vineyard in uh, Keene, New Hampshire, posted on Facebook this past Friday, and I'll close with this. He writes, forgiving someone who hasn't asked for it is one of the hardest things to do. It is also the most freeing. Jesus thought so and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said that nailed to a cross looking down at people who are mocking him and spitting at him and cursing him to death. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So how deep do you want to go with this stuff? Do you want God to use you supernaturally? Do you want to be a source of joy and life and light I think it starts there. I think this is really foundational. And I know we've talked about forgiveness in the past, but, you know, time goes by and stuff builds up. Sometimes you've got to change your oil. So today's a tune-up day. 70 times 7 kind of day. I want to give you some options. We're going to pray in just a minute. The options are this. We've got this cross up here with all these little pieces of paper on it. Each piece of paper is someone's life or a moment in their life, an incident in their life, a moment where they left the old man behind, they nailed it to a cross, and they walked away in some level of freedom from something that has tormented them all their lives. Where are your accusers? They're on a little yellow slip of paper nailed to a cross. I left them there when I forgave them one day. So I don't know. They're not with me. Forgiveness means freedom. Should you pray to be free? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because your freedom is important to Jesus. The second option is to just come up, and there'll be some, some of us up front here, just to come up and pray with someone. Yeah, I think even medical doctors will tell you that sometimes confession is good for the soul just to get it out there, just to be able to say to someone, you know, this jerk really hurt me really did some bad things to me. I've been carrying this around too long. I want to let
let it go. I want to I wanna forgive them. I don't know how. Would you pray with me? Help me to find the freedom that's in Christ to forgive. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite Holy Spirit to come and begin to just speak to our hearts. And if he brings something to the forefront of your mind, a pain, a hurt, some anger, bitterness, or grief or something you've been carrying around that every time you see someone or think about them, you cringe or cry or hurt. Maybe you can walk out of here today a little freer because you've left it behind. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to come this morning. Lord, you are the comforter. But in a sense, O oh God, you are also the examiner. You search deep in our hearts and our souls to reveal to us, O oh God, those things that need change. We want to go deeper with you. We want to leave the things uh, that keep us in boxes behind the pain, the suffering, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the rage, the malice, the anger. We don't always know how. We don't even know where it is in us until it's touched and we're off the deep end again. Corrupting words. Raging at people we should be loving. Hurting those we should be helping. Lord, this has to change. Come, Holy Spirit. Redeem our souls from this burden. Lord, we plead the principle of 70 times 7 today. The power of that would be evident in our lives and that we would know the freedom that sets us free in Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to remind some of you because I can sense that there's a little bit of fear here that if I talk about this, if they someone knew what was going on inside, there'd be an opinion, there'd be some type of label. But I want to remind you of what Jesus said to that woman, neither do I condemn you. This is not about labeling, it's about freedom. It's about going on from this place in newness of life in Christ.